Don't know if there's in front of your chair. There's a blue book, and that's that's a Bible. Or in your device, you can swipe to your uh, swipe to the proper place. And uh, <clears throat> and before we get started, let's uh, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to, to, to not only study your word, Lord, but to also encounter you in your word. We are so grateful, Lord, for the, the privilege and the opportunity to do this. And, and we're just grateful, Lord, that your word is, is truth, Lord, and uh, you have a lot to say um, to us. And we just pray that you would open our eyes and give us understanding about uh, the events of Palm Sunday and the last week of Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would, uh, as you told Jeremiah, I will put my words in your mouth. Lord, I want to be, just be an empty vessel, Lord, and ask that you would fill me with your spirit and speak through me in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 11. <clears throat> it's called the triumphal entry in your Bibles, or many Bibles, but um, I'm going to challenge that <laughs> somewhat. <laughs> It's tri- it is triumphal, but for not the reasons you're going to expect. Um, Mark 11, we're going to look at the first 11 verses. And this uh, event really, this week is the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry. Um, he, uh, he starts ministering at about age 30, and he ministers for about three and a half years. And what's interesting is that so much of the Gospels is dedicated to this one week. And we'll talk about that in a second. Mark 11 says, As they approached Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go to the opposite or the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter, you'll find a colt tied there, and on which there is, uh, no one has yet sat on, and untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, to, say, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it back here. Verse 4, they went away and found a colt tied at the door and outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of the bystanders were saying to them, what are, what are you doing untying the colt? And they spoke to them and told them just as Jesus told them, and they gave him permission. They brought the colt to Jesus and put their coats on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their coats in the road, and others spread leafy branches which they had cut from the fields. Those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Now Jesus entered Jerusalem and came to the temple, and after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve since it was already late. Now, just to help you out, Mark sort of gives you the entire week by little clues. He's actually uh, very uh, focused on this last, last week of Jesus. In fact, 
one-third of, Ma- of Mark's gospel is devoted to this one week. One-third of it. Uh, a fourth of Matthew's gospel is devoted to this one week. Um, a fifth in Luke's gospel and half of John's gospel is devoted to this one week. That tells you something. It tell you, tells you all of the gospel writers, in fact, if you were to count about 30 out of the 89 chapters in the Gospels are devoted to this one week. He lives for 30, 33 years, 30 years, then ministry, three and a half years of ministry, and one week takes up about a third of the Gospel writing. The emphasis of the Gospel writers is on the things that lead up to the mission of Christ, the crucifixion, the uh, resurrection, it, the centrality of the death and resurrection in the gospel of Christ. I want to just give you a little preview of, of Mark. He's kind of cool because he kind of clues in on what's coming up. It's Sunday in Mark 11. Uh, and on this day, Jesus is going to enter Jerusalem, as we just read. He's not going to do much there on that day. But later on that day, in John chapter 12, he's going to predict his death, which he's done before, but he's going to do it again. He will also visit the temple later that day, and he's going to clean it. In fact, there's two instances where Jesus cleans the temple, one at the beginning of his ministry and one towards the end. John actually writes about both of those occasions, one at the beginning, one at the end. The other gospel writers write about only about this occasion. So he's going to do three things on this day, on this Sunday, basically. Um, if you want to write down the other passages, Matthew 21, Luke 19, and John 12 are the passages or the chapters that go along with this. Besides Mark 11, it's Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 21, Luke 19, and John 12. What's interesting is that there are only a couple times when all four Gospels record the same event. One is the feeding of the 5,000, and the second is this week, death, burial, and resurrection, Okay. Each writer will have different perspective and different purposes of what they read, what they're writing about. Monday will happen in Mark chapter 12, 11, verse 12. If you want to write down, it says, on the next day, see that verse 12? That's Monday. On the next day, Mark 11, verse 12. We're just going to give you a little overview. I want to give you some background leading up to this point because it's easy to read this chapter and this section and say, oh, I know, hey, Palm Sunday, you know, they're waving the branches and that's it. He's, on, he's riding on a donkey and whatever, you know. There is a lot here. There, in fact, there's, there's stuff here that even the disciples, as they're living it, don't realize. John even says that, and I'll point it out later on. So Monday is on Mark 11, verse 12. This is on the following day. If you go to Mark 11, verse 20, it says, and they were passing by in the morning. That would be Tuesday. Mark 11, verse 20, that's Tuesday. Wednesday comes in Mark 14, verse 1. Mark's kind of nice and short and sweet. I'm just giving you an overview. Mark 14, verse 1 says, it was two days before the Passover. It says that Passover and, uh, and unleavened bread were two days away. So that would be Wednesday. A lot of things are happening in this week. We're not going to get into everything this day. In Mark 14, verse 12, is Thursday, on the first day of unleavened bread, where he tells Peter and John to get a, a big room in Jerusalem, prepare for Passover, which will be on 
the following day on Friday, Mark 15, verse 1, says, as soon as it was morning. So Mark is devoting and kind of giving a clear picture of what's going to happen in this, this week. But what starts it off is, of course, his entry into Jerusalem. Now, what's interesting is, is there's a lot going on here that Mark records that maybe, are, that, well, I'm going to point out to you in a second, or a few minutes, next few minutes, um, about what the significance of this. I mean, what does he mean? What does Jesus mean by actually coming into Jerusalem on a cult? I mean, he's been to Jerusalem before. We know he was probably there, and this is about, this time period is about now, March, April, because Passover's coming. He was probably there, uh, there in December at the Feast of uh, Dedication to Hanukkah, basically. He was probably there um, the other times of the year. He would have been there three times of the year. All Jewish men had to come to Jerusalem, to the temple, on Passover, which was been this time of period, Pentecost, which was about 50 days later, and then the Feast of Tabernacles, which is in September. So three times out of the year, if you're a Jewish male, you had to come to the Jerusalem, come to the temple. So this is one of the times of the year. He's been here before, but he's never ridden a donkey in before. This, what's significant about this donkey, and what's the deal with the things going around him? Well, let's, let's look at verse 1, and we're going to look at the approach that he comes. I've actually been here, and so as I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about how we walk this road. It's not exactly the same road Jesus would have walked, I don't believe, if memory serves me. But he's walking, he's approaching Jerusalem. It says, and they approached Jerusalem. Um, they would have been a huge crowd. It would have been his disciples. It would have been also those who saw Lazarus be healed or raised up. You know, word got out. Hey, Lazarus is alive. Come check it out. Now, Lazarus and Mary and Martha lived in Bethany, which is only two miles from Jerusalem to the east. So if you picture Jerusalem here from your perspective, Bethany and Bethphage are to the east. Um, Two-mile walk is, is nothing, right? I mean... It's like going to Starbucks in my house, you know, or <laughs> yeah, if you know where Starbucks is from my house, it's two miles. So uh, we know that Jesus also would have been joined with other people uh, that not only saw Jesus heal uh, Lazarus, but also healed some blind men. Blind Bar- Bartimaeus is one of them. There's a crowd. We also know that this is the time of the Passover. Now, the time of the Passover, of course, all the men have to come. Josephus writes that there was, 30 years later, they had 250,000 lambs slaughtered. And if you count, the estimate is maybe one for every 10 people. There could have been as much as over 2 million people, 2.5 million people in Jerusalem. Okay? That's a lot of people for that town. Even today, it's a lot of people. But just imagine, you have throngs of people. There's a lot of excitement and anticipation. Not only is Jesus coming in, if you picture the scene, Jesus coming in from one side. If imagine Jerusalem's over here and he's coming in with his, with his crowd. He's got more people around him. But they're all wanting to see Jesus and there's this expectation. On the other side of Jerusalem, on the western side, there's another group approaching the city and that would have been Pilate. Pilate would have stayed at the... Um, on Caesarea on the, on the sea, not Caesarea Philippi, but Caesarea on the sea, on the Mediterranean Sea. There's, there's a fortress or a place for them to stay. But he would have, he and his men, his military men with the horses and the 
standard bearers and everything else would have gone to Jerusalem as well because they knew that this, this time of year would have been very volatile. Okay? So he has to go to sort of make sure there's extra peace being kept. You have two million people potentially coming t- to Jerusalem, and it's a very significant time of year. In fact, Passover, they're remembering what happened on the Passover. So what happened on the Passover? Well, Moses, let's go back to the Old Testament. <clears throat> Moses um, leads the people out of Egypt. The people in Israel were in- enslaved for 400 years. Um, they're in slavery for 400 years, and they're crying out to God, and God raises up Moses. Now, Moses kills a guy, comes back after 80 years. <laughs> after, so he's 80 years old when he comes back, but he leads the people, and you guys have seen the movies, you know, let my people go, and there's 10 plagues, right? That's the exodus. And in the exodus, God provides a way to get out, right? They go through the, the Red Sea parts, you know, they walk through, you know the story, Right? And, of course, the Passover was when, when God was judging with the last of the judgments, he says, listen, you need to, you need to slaughter a, a, a lamb and put the blood on the doorpost, and whoever's in the house, if I see that blood, I'm going to pass over. And if there wasn't any blood, the firstborn from that household would have died. So all the Egyptian firstborns were, were killed, but they were spared and if you were in the house covered by the blood. So as you're, if you're in this time period and you're thinking, Passover, redemption, deliverance from our enemies, and you know this Jesus can raise the dead and heal the, and heal the sick and give sight to the blind, you have a whole lot of hope and expectation in your mind, right? I mean, come on. Bartimaeus says, son of David, have mercy on me, right? Like, don't pass me by, you know? <laughs> don't pass me by. You know, there's, it's thick. The hope and expectation and anticipation is thick, we know also that Jesus, if you look at um, Mark chapter 8, go to Mark chapter 8. This is all background because I want to lead into what we're going to say. Mark chapter 8, verse 20, uh, 27. Jesus is, is beginning to, um, to start going towards Jerusalem. Jesus goes out, went out along with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he questioned his disciples, saying to them, Who do people say that I am? They told him, saying, John the Baptist. Others say Elijah uh, or one of the prophets. And he continued by questioning, But who do you say that I am? And Peter said, Of course, you are the Christ. Then he says, don't tell anybody. Now, we're going we're gonna to ask that question, why does he do that later on? Because it comes into play with what Jesus is doing here. The whole question we're going to answer tonight is, what is Jesus doing by what he's doing in this chapter? That's really, what is he doing with this mule ride, this cult ride in the town? Then he says, then after that, he says, verse 31, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And of course, Peter says, wait, this is not going to happen to you, Lord. And Peter said, or Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. It's at this point where he starts revealing more and more. Luke 9 says that he set his face towards Jerusalem. Now he's on the mission. His goal now is in sight. For much of his ministry and years uh, of ministry, the, words, the scripture says his time, had, his hour had not come. 
they try to kill him, they try to do all kinds of him, and he would slip away because his hour had not come. That now his hour is approaching. For this time is for this time period is why he was born, and he knew it. His mission is Jerusalem, his mission is the cross. They don't get it yet. Right? In fact, later on, if you go to um, um, well, I already said Mark, Luke, Luke, uh, Luke 9. Go back, to, um, go back to Mark 11. So they're traveling, but they've been traveling probably from Jericho, which if you go from Jericho to Jerusalem, it's about 17 miles, but it's uphill. You climb about 3,300 feet in elevation. It's a climb. They've gone 15 of those 17 miles uphill. More people have joined them. Jesus is coming. It's Passover. Uh, in fact, Mark and Matthew tell us that there was already a great multitude following him. Um, and so there, there's this great anticipation. They approach Jerusalem, and they go to Bethphage. Go back to verse 1. Bethphage, which, um, which it's a town or a little hamlet that's just down the road from Bethany. So he's still about two or a little less than two miles from Jerusalem. Bethphage actually means house of unripe figs. Um, and there was a small town there. And it says it's near the, the, the Mount of Olives. Now, if you imagine, okay, Jerusalem has on the right side, on the, let's see, what side is this? This is east. You have the city and you have, I wish I had a map, but I don't have a map. Um, there's a mountain range, mountain range, okay? Think Arizona mountains, but smaller, okay? <laughs> I'm like Colorado mountains, you know, think small hills. But it's about two miles long, and the highest point is the Mount of Olives. So you have the Mount of Olives, you go downhill into the Kidron Valley, and then go up back to Jerusalem. Mount Olives is, a little high, is higher than Jerusalem, so you could have this beautiful view, you know. Um, and, the Mount of, and the Mount of Olives is, is on the east side, and just down the road, or just on, the, on one side of the Mount of Olives, uh, on the eastern, southeastern slope, if I get my direction right, is Bethany. Now, Jesus would have spent a lot of time in Bethany because his best buddies lives there, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Okay? Remember, Jesus, um, I won't say he was homeless, but he was essentially homeless. He had no place to lay his head. He stayed at Peter's house up at Capernaum. I've seen it. It's been, it's, they had this huge, every, every famous place in Israel has a church or something built over it, right? But around Jerusalem, he probably would spend a lot of time at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house. Okay? They're good friends of his. Um, and he heals a blind man there. So, <clears throat> Jesus, actually, he's at the Mount of Olives, and Mount of Olives is very significant. Now, everything I'm pointing out is significant with, with the Old Testament and the New Testament. Later on, Jesus on the Mount of Olives is going to give what is called the Olivet Discourse. Not, not, it's not the Sermon on the Mount. It's the Olivet Discourse, and what that is is his sermon about the end times, let's say. Okay? That's going to happen in Mark, I think Mark 13 has that, and Matthew 24 and 25. Remember, this is last week. He's, he's kind of, you know, come on. If, you, if it was your last week, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm going to dish out everything I can, right? Just, <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not going to, hey, my time's short. Guys, pay attention. Time's short, you know. And we're like, oh, what, Lord? Who's the greatest? You know, <laughs> you know. The Mount of Olives is significant because years earlier, 
King David, who Jesus is the son of David, a descent and the Messiah was going to be his, King David would also would leave the Mount of Olives, or leave Jerusalem going to the Mount of Olives, fleeing from his son Absalom. Uh, and he would go up to, it says in 2 Samuel, that David continued up to the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, his head covered and his, he was barefoot. And all the people who were with him had their heads covered too and they're weeping. His son was basically, um, he was a turkey, right? He needed a haircut too, but that's another story. <laughs> that's Absalom, okay? Later on, King Solomon, David's son, would, would actually have idol worship on the Mount of Olives. You know, King Solomon, he builds the temple, and then later on, he eventually departs from God. But the Mount of Olives is where he had this built. Ezekiel in his visions records that the glory of the Lord departs from Jerusalem and comes to rest east on the Mount of Olives. So Jesus would have been there many times. In fact, um, it was um, this time, that this last week, that he's going to visit the Mount of Olives three times. The first time is now. The second time is on the Olivet Discourse, Mark 13. The third time is the night he's betrayed. He has dinner with, the, with his you know, Jesus, Judas betrays him. He washes the feet. They have a Passover time. They leave and they go to the Garden of the Gethsemane where he prays, and that's on the other side of the Mount of Olives. So you're still, with all this, this is all significant. Later on in Acts, which Acts was it? Jesus actually ascends from the Mount of Olives. In fact, I want you to go to Acts. Um, is it X one? You think I would know this by heart, but I don't because I've memorized a lot of stuff. You know, Acts um, Acts one. Yeah, look at Acts one. I want to show you one, one more thing. I'm pointing out Mount of Olives for a reason, but you'll see Acts Acts one. Acts one in verse eleven says, <clears throat> Jesus had just left. Cloud takes him up. They're looking up in the sky. In verse eleven, these angels, these men dressed in white. In verse ten, they say to them, "Hey, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking in the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the way as you have watched him go into heaven." Evidently. Jesus, when he comes back, is coming back to the Mount of Olives. In fact, Zechariah 14. Go to Zechariah. We're going to have a Bible study tonight. How does that sound? You guys ready for Bible study? All right, let's forget about sermons. Let's just Bible study, you know. Zechariah 14. I want you to go to Zechariah 14. This, Zechariah is going to come and play because a lot of prophetic words from, about Jesus are from Zechariah. Go to the Old Testament. It's the second to last book of the Old Testament. So if you find Matthew, go left. And you'll see Malachi and Zechariah. Am I correct on that? Zechariah, Malachi, where, where am I? Yeah, second, second one, right? If you go to Zechariah 14, here's what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. Verse 4. <clears throat> then, okay, in that day, his feet, that's talking about the Lord, and specifically the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very, by a very large valley, so that half the mountain will move north and half south. When Jesus comes back, in his second coming, he's going to step foot on the Mount of Olives, and there's going to be a crack of the egg, you know, whatever. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen then, but that's, he's coming back there. There's a lot of history with this mount. This mount. Go back to Mark 11. 
So he goes there, he's with this entourage of people, he goes to uh, Mary and Martha's house probably, and he has some instructions for his disciples. Now this is very interesting because I counted up the verses that are going to be devoted to this donkey or this colt, and it's like six of the 11 verses, so this is significant. In fact, this is the only thing he says in this section. We're going to learn about a lot about what Jesus says, and we're going to learn a lot about what Jesus doesn't say. Mark 11, verse 2. Let's look, this is the arrangements. Verse 2 is the arrangements. And he said to them, he sent two of his disciples, we don't know who they are, perhaps one of them is Peter because Mark is closely associated with Peter, and so Peter gives him all the, the good information to write this gospel, okay? He says to them, go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there. Now, a colt would be a, a baby horse, a baby donkey. In this case, it's a donkey. We know that Matthew clarifies and says there's a donkey and a colt, and he brings them both back. The colt is young, the donkey's his mom, and this is a this is a big this is a big job for this little cult. He's gonna be carrying the carrying carrying the king, right? So mama's gonna come with him. But he says, "Go to the opposite village." Uh, uh, what's it called? Village. I always call it opposite village, but village opposite you, and immediately you'll find a cult which no one has yet ever sat. Now, what's significant about that is that kings had claimed had claim to people's stuff, and especially things that were never used before. There's, there's going to be a lot of hints at G, what Jesus, who Jesus is um, in, this, in this section here. He says, um, untie it and, and bring it here. If, verse 3, if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and he'll send you back. Now, <clears throat> We know that in the Old Testament that riding a donkey, a king would, can ride a donkey, was a sign of, of several things. A sign of royalty, a sign of peace, a sign of humility. Now, you could do a Bible study on the, the use of donkeys in the Old Testament. And I did. So, <laughs> I mean, listen, you know, hey, every word in Scripture is inspired. Think about it. The Scripture writers don't waste time on non-essentials. Okay. Mark especially. Mark is the trim down. I mean, he's just he's just packed, but he has an agenda here. What's interesting is that you have a prophecy about the Messiah back in Genesis 49. I want you to go to Genesis 49. This is one of the earliest. Pro- well, the earliest would probably be Genesis 3. But Genesis 49, Jacob is on his. He's sort of like on his deathbed, and he's kind of giving blessings and words and everything else. And he's, he's, uh, he's, he's sort of prophesying over his children, and he, talks, he prophesies over his son Judah, who if you read the story about Judah and, or about Joseph, Judah at the beginning of the story is a turkey, and at the end he's, a, he's redeemed himself. And in verse 10 of Genesis 49, it says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah. That means there'll be kings coming through your line, Judah. Eventually King David will come from Judah. And of course Jesus nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes. The word Shiloh means the one to whom it belongs. In other words, there'll be kings filling a place, but they're just place sitters for the real king, right? Shiloh. And to whom shall be the obedience of the peoples? He's talking about Jesus. Here's verse 11. He ties his fall to the vine 
and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washes his garments in wine. He rub, his robes are dipped in blood with grapes. And his eyes are full of wine and his teeth white milk. So early on, he did this reference to this donkey and the Messiah. I'm wondering as, the, as, now listen, John says that they don't realize what's going on. But I'm just looking at these hints that Jesus is doing. Everything he's doing is significant. Never rode a donkey before in, in well, maybe when you're pregnant with, you know, Mary's pregnant with a donkey, but with, well, with Jesus riding a donkey into Bethlehem. But this is significant. Later on, go to uh, 1 Kings 1. Later on, David is dying. David is dying. Go to 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 38. So if you're in Genesis, go to your right, and you'll see. It's like you know, 400 pages in or something. 1 Kings 1, David is dying, and he hears that his one son, Adonijah, is trying to take the throne. And Adonijah is, he's the, he's the favored one, so to speak. He's taken the throne. He's another son of David. And it, word gets back to David that, hey, Adonijah, is he the king? You know, David, is, you're old. Is he the king? Is Adonijah the king? And David says, uh, David makes arrangement to say, no, 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 no. <laughs> Solomon's going to be king. And God, told, God had told David, hey, listen, you can't build a house for me, but your son will. And he's talking about Solomon will eventually build a house for the Lord. And he tells him, he says, listen, listen, let's, 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 let's set the record straight. Solomon's king, and here's what you're going to do. He says, I want you to get Zadok the priest, verse 38, Nathan the prophet, and Benaniah the son of Jehoiada, and, ha- and, and take Solomon and ride him on David's mule and take him down He's going to take him down to the Kidron Valley, just, where, just east of where, or west of where they're at, and he's going to anoint him as king. He's going to place Solomon on the donkey and anoint him there. Okay? What Jesus is doing here, he's repeating the same thing. He's riding this in the same direction. He's, so there's some clues there. You, get, you guys see that? Okay. Later on, uh, David's other son, uh, Saw, uh, Absalom will ride horses, a sign of power, but a donkey was not only a sign of royalty, it was a sign of humility as well. And it was a sign of peace. Later on in the judges' time period, they would ride, sometimes they would ride donkeys for various reasons. So anyway, go back to Mark 11. I don't want to give you a lot of history, but there's so much that's packed here, and I'm, I, uh, I just want to share it all. How's that sound? How's that? Can I just share it all? Okay. But before you do that, go to Zechariah chapter 9. Before, you, before I take you back to Mark, I might as well keep the Old Testament because if there's anything that Jesus is fulfilling, it's Zechariah chapter 9. By his own actions, he's claiming something. Now watch this. Zechariah 9. Maybe someday we'll do a study of Zechariah because there's so much about Jesus in this. Zechariah 9, the first eight the first seven-ish verses are judgment about the surrounding nations. But verse 8 and verse 9, um, verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation. Watch. 
humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the fall of a donkey. You see that? Now what's interesting is that Mark, Mark doesn't point out this verse. Go back to Mark. Mark does not point out this verse. Matthew does. Mark doesn't even bring up this fact this is prophetic. I, I just got to scratch my head and say, Mark, what's going on here? Why, why, why are you being so silent? Come on, it's clearly Jesus is the king, right? He's the king. He's, he's, he's on the donkey. He's riding in the town, just like Zechariah said, right? He's the king. And guess what? Everybody else surrounding Jesus says, He's on the, now this, maybe this wasn't an unusual thing for people to ride on donkeys, but being it's Jesus, being it's Passover, being what he's been doing, he's the king, right? Knowing that Pilate's on the other side of town about to come in, and we're like, that's the Romans. We want to be free with, from the Romans. We don't want the Romans ruling over us. Now is the time, right? In fact, we remember, now those, maybe their people weren't around, but they, if they were around, then there was another Zechariah back in Luke chapter 1 who said, hey, this child is destined for things, right? All this expectation. Come on, Lord. This is it. I can feel it. This is it, right? Go back to Mark 11. I'm still developing my point. You get that point, right? (laughs) um, But he comes in riding on this donkey. In fact, let's go back here. Verse Back to Mark 11. If anyone says, verse 3, everyone says to you, why are you doing this? The Lord has need of it. I can do a whole sermon on just that phrase right there. The Lord has need of it. Oh, man. I'm, I'm, I'm going to pause on that, that, that word right there because that... Um, 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 okay, now I'm not... So I'm in a dilemma now. <laughs> to go with... Um, all right. Because... Um, all right, so I want you to imagine, imagine, just imagine, okay. You're, now, we don't know if Jesus made arrangements. I mean, he's been through this town a lot of times. People know who he is. Maybe he's made arrangements. We know he's made arrangements to get the upper room later on. Maybe he knows the owner of the donkey. I keep calling it donkey, but it's a donkey, right? Maybe he just, because he's God, knows things, right? Now, they know who the Lord is, they, but... If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? What does he say? Tell him what? The Lord what? Who, need, who has need of it? Does that, does that scratch your head or what? Does the Lord have need of anything? I mean, this man raises the dead, gives sight to the blind, and feeds 5,000 people with some boy's lunch. Does the, the Lord has, I don't know about you, but um, the Lord has need of it. There are things that God has given to you that he needs to use in you. He has need of you. He has need of the gifts, your relationships, your talent, your words, your availability. He, he, has, he has, you have need of it, Really? God of the universe needs something? By the way, you notice something. Jesus, the, whose donkey is this? Is this Jesus or somebody else's? He's got to borrow a donkey. 
they're going to put him on the donkey, but they're going to put some coats on it because they don't have a saddle. So he's got to borrow some coats. And the coat's on the ground. He's going to borrow that. And by the way, he's going to be buried in somebody else's tomb. The Lord has need of it. And the Lord has... An, it, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, guys. Um, when the Lord has need of you, when you're willing to say, yes, Lord, whatever I have... Listen, this donkey has never been used before. It's young. Now, I don't know about you, but me, I'm a perfectionist. Lord, wait, give me 20 years of, of, of letting people ride on my back, then I'll come back and I'll be ready for you, okay? Never been you. Listen, God doesn't need your expertise. He doesn't need your perfections. He just needs your willingness, right? I know, I'm preaching to the choir, so choir sing. But the fact the Lord would need something. Willingness, do we have a willingness to be used by God, a willingness to surrender our lives to Him for His service? Listen, I'm going to be, I'm going to date myself, I'm going to be 50 years old this year. I know, I just said it. It's out in the waves, you know. So, la, 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 can't take it back. <laughs> 50 years old. I want to be like this man who owns a donkey or the donkey that says, yeah, wait, whatever, right? Life will pass us by. God, help us if we don't say yes, Lord, whatever it is. You have need me? Hey, use me. I'm here. In fact, what's interesting is these are the only words that Jesus speaks in the section. You know that. The rest of what he does in this section is going to be silent. And we're going to have to read between the lines and really, really figure that out. So they went away, verse 4, and they found the colt tied there. I mean, he's outside, which is unusual. Um, they obey Jesus' simple instructions. What do you mean there's going to be a cult? I mean, they've learned enough times, hey, if Jesus says something, do it, right? But how many times Jesus says something to us and we're like, come on, Lord, you know, we him and haw about it, right? <laughs> but, Lord, what about this? What if this goes wrong? What if the donkey chases me down the street because it doesn't want her baby going away? What about that, Lord? And we keep arguing with the Lord. Lord, you know, I don't know, maybe I'm just talking to myself here because... Um, but they, and Jesus even prepares for them. He says, listen, you're going to get some objection. Here's what to say. And they'll say, yes, Lord. It's amazing when you follow the Lord and you obey him in simple obedience and trust him. God has it figured out. I like the fact that, go back to verse 4, they went and found it tied to the door. That word tied is a word that means bound, and elsewhere it's used in spiritual reasons as well. Somebody that's bound. A lady was bound for 18 long years with, by Satan one time. Remember Jesus says that in the Gospels? And then they untied it, the word there's loose. That's also a significant word. They had a loosing ministry. Anyway, I won't get into all that, but he borrows things, he borrows a colt, and they come and get it. They went away and found the colt tied there, verse 5. Some of the bystanders were saying to them, um, the other gospels say it was the owners, actually, what are you doing? And, and untying the colt, verse 6. And he spoke to them and 
just as Jesus told them, and they gave them permission. Oh, okay, it's Jesus. Hey, hey, listen, the Lord needs it. Hey, have it. Verse 7, they brought, and this verse 7 begins what is called the acclamation or the adoration. Acclamation. They brought the colt to Jesus and put their coats on it, and he sat on it. What's interesting, I think it's Luke or John, actually says they placed him on it, which is the same thing that David did with Solomon. He's placed on this donkey, this colt. And they spread their coats on it, and they sat on it, and spread their coats in the road, and others brought leafy branches. Now, we get Palm Sunday, probably from John's account, where they wave the branches. Here, it's specifying the branches and the coats on the ground. Now, what does that all mean? Okay, It goes back to um, 2 Kings, I forget what chapter, where another king, Jehu, was placed on a, on a donkey, and they would place coats and stuff in the ground so they'd walk on it. And here's the idea. Whatever you, whatever you need, king, you can have it. The idea of placing the coats on the ground and the, the other stuff is whatever, the shirt off our back, the coat, whatever, you, if, I have to, if I have to lay on the ground and have you walk just so that you wouldn't walk, it's a willingness, of, it's a submission and surrender. Whatever you need, king, whatever I have, they can be service to you. I give to you. I don't realize that for, for whatever you need, God, whatever you need, I willingly place it down. Can you imagine? I don't know about you. I'd, I'd be like, <laughs> whatever, you know. I don't want, I, I, this is the king coming, right? Now, king, we have to get you a better ride next time because, you know, <laughs> little donkey is, <laughs> you know, he's okay. But next time, hey, get you a horse or get you a Mercedes or something, you know, or some other animal or whatever it is. But for now, whatever you have, whatever I have is for you, God. It's a royal entry. Jesus sits on it. Now, here's what's going on. Oh, this is so good. He's sitting on this colt. We see the significance from the past. There's, a, there's kingship that's riding, there's, there's royalty. He doesn't say a word, right? Jesus doesn't say, here comes the king, right? Doesn't say a word. The people see this, and they respond. Now, keep in mind, this is... <clears throat> okay, I'll, I'll, I'll get to that. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I, there's a lot in my mind I'm trying to... <laughs> you understand <laughs> A million miles a second, but they spread their coats. Verse nine. This is their reaction. Those in front and behind are doing what? They're shouting, "Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming of uh, is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest." Oh, what is, what's going on there? Okay. They're quoting Psalm 118. Psalm 118, go there, is, one, is called a Hallel Psalm. And these were songs that were sung by the pilgrims as they go to the temple. Okay? This particular song is the last one of the Hallel songs. Hallel means praise. Like hallelujah, hallelujah means praise the Lord. Hallel means praise. So when, they would, when you go to Jerusalem, you would, you would sing these songs, and you would... Uh, Go to Psalm 118. In verse 25, verse 25, verse 
Psalm 118. You guys tracking still, or am I? Okay. Are we here, or are we in, we're in Jerusalem, aren't we? Okay. Psalm 118, and verse 25, it says, what does it say? O Lord, do save, we beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you, do you send prosperity. What, what is your, anybody else have a non, a different version than one I have? Like not, an, Yes. Okay, save us, we pray. Okay. Originally, here's the thing. Originally, the word Hosanna meant save us. Send help now is what the original... Actually, Hosanna is the Hebrew. It's actually... Um, like if we say... If we say um, um, like even the Greek writers... It was, it's it's Hoshiana, Hoshiana is, the, is the Hebrew... And send help now. Save us now. Okay? So they're, they're, here's the scene. You're, going, you're a pilgrim going to Jerusalem, going to the temple, and you're singing the song, Save us now. Send help now. Right? Think, think of this. You're, you're, you're singing this. And there would be a response normally. Watch this. Verse 26. With the response would be the priest coming out to give you a blessing or to receive you. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord... We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. That's the priest responding. You guys tracking? Did I lose everybody or just am I, am I just, am I in outer space or what? Okay, I'm just, okay, okay. We'll, we'll get there. So here's the scene. Originally it's Lord save us, Lord save us, right? Save us, send us help now. But later on, it changed from save us now to uh, praise, praise that he has saved us, so to speak. It, 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 it went from a petition of, uh, a supplication of, come to our aid now. And the priest would actually say this and sing this during the Feast of Tabernacles, and they would go around the, the altar seven times, and they would say, they would pray for rain, you know, send help now, send us rain now, right? But later on, it became praise. And what they're doing now is they're saying praise for the help that you brought us now. Praise for the help you brought us now. Okay? Hosanna. Praise the Lord. Thank you for sending us help. Along the lines with anticipation and hope, right? The healings, the raising of the dead, the Passover, everybody is there. Here's Jesus. Not just save us now, but he's saving us now. We're saving us now. What are they expecting? Revolution. Revolution. They are, they are so, it's so thick. They're so expecting Jesus to come in and he, Pilate, you've got nothing on Jesus. Your military, your army, your Roman soldiers, you got nothing. Hey, I, we can raise the dead, right? And here we are on Jesus' side saying, the Lord's with us, right? The Lord's with us. You know, I sound like a Republican. You know, the Lord's with us, you know, or something, you know. I, I, whatever, you know. Which sometimes what happens is we often take Jesus and put him on our political party, right? We say Jesus is, you know, Jesus is for our cause. Now, who is not talking now? Jesus. I think it's strikingly interesting that he's silent. Now, later on, in John's gospel, the Pharisees will say, hey, hey, Jesus, rebuke your followers for this, right? I think it's John 12. Go to John 12. Go to John 12. John 12, John 12. Trust me, I'm getting to a, a, 
I think it's a significant point, but, you know, I'm getting to a point, but I still want to develop what we're doing here. John 12. <clears throat> oh, boy, I passed the book of John. Where's that? Um, verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you... Uh, wait, hold on. Go back up. Where am I like here? Where's it at? Maybe it's not John. Maybe I wrote it down wrong. Don't worry about it. Let's go. This, it, one, of the, one of the Gospels, he says, rebuke your followers because they're doing that. And he says, no, listen, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm gonna, go back to Mark. Go back to Mark. Sorry. Sorry. So they're praising him. There's this expectation. There's this hope. What are they expecting? Revolution. They're expecting Jesus to come in. He's going he's to clean house. The Romans are gone, right? Because the Romans, they've been on us, right, for so long, right? You know what's interesting is that sometimes, sometimes what we think we need is not what God thinks we need, right? You notice that? We, 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 God often answers prayers of not our wants but our needs. Like everything, that God, everything God's doing here in this verse, in these verses we're looking at, is an answer to his promises but not their expectations. They're going to be cheering Jesus, but for the wrong reasons. They're, they're going to be cheering, praise the Lord, save us, Lord, save us now, right? And you have saved us. And in their minds, who are they thinking of? Salvation from who? The Romans. And God says, uh, oh, you think the Romans are your problem? <laughs> you know, um, I, I just think it's, I was, Lord, why aren't you speaking up? Why aren't you saying, hey, guys, no, it's not about the Romans. Because, listen, from Luke 9 and Mark, whatever chapter it was, I've been saying, going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be killed and die. And Mark chapter 10, I'm going to die again. I'm gonna, they're going to hand me over. That's my mission. They don't hear that. All they hear is, who's great, right? Who's great? So in his mind, he's doing one thing. In their mind, we think he's doing, we think, yeah, all that whole dying and raising, raising from the dead thing, we don't know what he's talking about there, but he's going to conquer and he's going to be king because he's a king. He's on the donkey for Crown Island, right? He's the son of David, right? They're saying Hosanna. Do you ever notice, <clears throat> I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I'm a Bible geek, you know, I like to read stuff. You ever notice the times when Jesus would cast out a demon or he would say, a demon would say, we know who you are. You're the son of God. And he would say, shut up, be quiet, and come out of him, right? You ever notice that? Or he would heal somebody and say, now, don't tell anybody. Go, yourself, go to the temple and say, hey, here's what Moses commanded us to do, but don't tell anybody, right? Ever notice that? You ever wonder, why, Jesus, why are you doing that? You ever wonder that? It's almost like Jesus is so, now here's, here's the point. <clears throat> Jesus, he's king, He's royalty. He has a purpose why he's coming. But you ever notice that he's, he's very reticent of admitting to it? Mark says in Mark 1, the very first, very first verse of Mark says, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, right? I think it says that. But never in, except for just a few times, does Jesus say or admit to that because his mission in Mark is different. It's almost like he's um, like that Mission Impossible kind of, you know, he's undercover. 
demons see him and say, you're the son of God. And you say, you're not telling anybody. And so many times when he would heal people, they wouldn't want to make him king, right? And he would do what? He would escape through their mist, right? Because it wasn't his time. So many times we try to make Jesus do what we think Jesus would be doing, and Jesus says, no, I have a different purpose in mind. I have a different purpose in mind. In fact, Jesus rides in, <clears throat> he rides in silence. He doesn't say anything. Yes, he's royalty. Um, Luke 19 will, will record the fact that after this, after he goes back from Jerusalem, he will weep over the city because of its impending destructions. Go back to, go, look, go to Luke 19. Luke 19, verse 41 says, When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on, all, on every side. And they will levy you to the ground and your children within you and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you do not recognize the time of your visitation. Jesus is going to weep because they're not going to receive him. In fact, do you know from Jerusalem... Nobody comes out to receive him as king. In fact, the, gospel, the other gospel says, they said, who is this? This is Jesus. Who? That's how much they knew who Jesus was. They weren't ready for him. Oh, boy. Jesus is remarkably reticent, resistant to revealing his true mission because he knows he has a very first purpose in mind. It's not to become king the way they want him to be. It is to suffer for our sins. It is to be a king that is humble, that conquers through love, and not through might. That's why some people are praying for Jesus to come and throw these terrible presidents out and government. Listen, that's, listen. Jesus' ways is way above our ways. He's not going to come here and run for political party. We don't pray for that. His, his kingdom is, is a kingdom that's entirely not of this world. He will come back. Make no mistake, he'll come back. But it'll be on his terms. Now, I know I'm going Am I going long? Can I, can I continue? Or have I lost you all? If I lost you all, that's okay. Take a, take a, take a nap, that's okay. So, so Jesus, I just want to, so here, back to Mark 11. Here's my question. Jesus, why are you riding this donkey in? Why aren't you saying anything? If your goal is to say you're a king, why don't you say, yes, I'm the king? In fact, go back to Mark 11. Point something out. Look at Mark 11. Mark 11. Do you know in verse 10, I want you to look at verse 10. We looked at verse 9. In verse 10, guess what? That's not part of the psalm. That's not part of the psalm. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. In fact, all the scripture, well, the other scripture writers, um, Matthew does as well, they insert this. This is from the perspective of the crowd. Here's what they're seeing they're seeing Jesus, he's king, he's royalty, he's the son of David. But they're very. 
They realize something's coming, but they're not, they're not really clear. And Jesus never stops them. He never says, let me correct you on this. He's quiet. Why is he? He wants to keep quiet so that he can accomplish his first purpose, and of course that's dying on the cross. Um, they're expecting him to come in and be a conquering Messiah. They're expecting him to come in and kick out the Romans, who they think is their real enemy. Um, Jesus doesn't do that. In fact, he doesn't lift up his voice at all. He doesn't say, here I am, you're king. Pilate will mock that and say, this is the king of the Jews. The only times that he would hear, people would hear who his, his true identity is from God the Father at his baptism, this, you're my beloved son, or at the transfiguration, this is my son, listen to him, or when an evil spirit would say, you're the son of God, right? Very little times does he say, I am he, right? He does, but he keeps it on the down low. Why? Because if they understood what he was truly about, they would, they would try to force him into, into kingship, you know? So that's why he says to Peter, hey, listen, he says to, to the boys, he says, hey, don't tell anybody. He says to his disciples, here's what's going to happen. This has to happen. My mission is, is Jerusalem because my mission is, is the cross, a couple points of, of lessons. I know I've gone long. I apologize. Um, a couple points of, of, uh, of lessons. Um, trust, uh, one, the first point is trusting God uh, or ex- expecting God to provide what we need rather than what we want. God answers our prayers, but oftentimes it's not according to our desires. It's according to our needs, right? And... <laughs> He knows what we need more than when we realize it, you know. Um, the second point we took up before is the Lord has need of it and being willing to surrender all for Christ, all for his, for his, no matter how simple it is, all for him. Expressing praise is the third point. Praise and a sense of, of thankfulness for God saving us and for what he's done. And the final point is, is not trying to fit Jesus to our agenda, but finding out what his agenda is and his plan is and following him. He's the Lord. You know, the Lord doesn't, you can't, I'm just Lord, right? You can't, <laughs> you can try, but he knows what he's doing. You know, this whole last week of his life, he has every single event under his control. Nothing takes him by surprise. Nothing is beyond his power. Nothing's beyond his knowledge. The same thing with our lives too. We think sometimes we've gone off the rails. Sometimes say, like, "Well, I must have, Lord. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm out here. No, Lord. Lord you're exactly where, where I know you're at, and I can bring you wherever you need to be." The work that He does in us is a deeper work than we realize. The work of humility that He de- de- depicts in Christ is the work that he wants to create in all of us. I'm learning that lesson. I'm learning that humility is, listen, I, I blow it, you know. I, I'm learning that you can, be, you can be like the crowd and say, 
let's, here's my agenda, Lord. I want this, this stuff to be done. I want it done my way. Come on, be our king. Let's usher you in, you know. My way, right? Jesus, you're, you're on my side, right? Jesus, no, 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 no. <laughs> I care more about your heart than I care about what you do, where you go, or anything else. I care about your heart, the state of your heart. He wants to be as you're going to sing the king of our heart, which I love that song. That's the whole point. If Christ is not ruling our heart, I don't care if he's ruling on, on a temple in Jerusalem. If he's not ruling my heart, I've missed it. Which is why he cries over Jerusalem and says, you guys missed it. Daniel predicted the very day when Jesus would come in. We didn't look into this. The very day when Jesus would come in, they missed it. Listen, don't miss the opportunity for God to say, there's an issue here in your heart I want, to, I want to work on. Okay, Lord, I want to be willing and sensitive. We want the Lord to be the Lord of our heart. Okay? Okay, Lord, I'm, I'm, I have some pride. I have some anger. I have some resentment, some unforgiveness. I have some really terrible stuff in my heart. Lord, you sure? Oh, oh that, you know, he came to rule our hearts. Let us be like the owner of the donkey. He says, yes, Lord, what do you need? Take my heart. Lord, my heart is yours. I'll lay it down before you. Let us be that kind of disciple that says, Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing to follow you to the cross. You've denied yourself. I'm willing to do that because I know you are the king of my heart. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for your word. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to not only... You came to give us life, Lord. You came to give us life and that abundantly. You came to, to change us, to take us from having stony hearts to, to soft hearts, Lord. From making us dead to making us full of life, God. You came to forgive us, to cleanse us from our sins, and to give us life, Lord. We yield our hearts to you, God. Lord, whatever, whatever things we hold on to you, Lord, hold on to in our hearts, we want to yield them at your feet, God. And we pray, Lord, would you rule our hearts, God. Be our King, Lord. Be our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.